Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. We are in our second to last episode of this book series, and we're actually going to talk about, you know, not necessarily a book we've read because we've talked a little bit about that, but in this session, it's going to actually really lead us into some conversations with some guest speakers we'll have in the future in regards to Strength Finders. And so today we're talking about Strength Finders book, Strength Finders 2.0. And I don't have Michelle here, my sidekick, but I do have Keith and my other business partner in crime. And we are here to talk about Strength Finders 2.0. Keith, thanks so much for joining on this podcast about this, because I know you are super passionate about Strength Finders and how we incorporate it in the day-to-day. And we've had a good amount of opportunity facilitating this in organizations and then facilitating it in our own day-to-day lives and how we incorporate it. So Keith, why is Strength Finders 2.0 a fantastic book, a fantastic assessment, and why should people incorporate it in their day-to-day? All right. Well, hello, Maria, and thank you for that introduction. You're right. I do absolutely love Strength Finders, and I love the the assessment that comes along with it. I've facilitated workshops around Strength Finders um, for a long time now, and even before Gallup had any structure around the type of workshops that they do now. You know, you and I have have worked together to facilitate you know our own homegrown version of this before it was an actual thing. And when we first started with the Strength Finders 2.0. The only assessment that was available was one that that would um, tell you what your top five strengths are out of a, a possible list of, of 34. Now, today, they've evolved somewhat, and now you can actually get all 34 of your strengths ranked in order. And it really gives you a pretty in-depth look at where your talents are and how you're able to contribute. And if you don't know, for those of us you know, listeners who have never come across Strength Finders before... The idea behind Strength Finders is that you're uncovering where your strengths and talents are so that you can leverage those strengths to make more of a contribution, build your, your career further, all those sorts of good things. Whereas, you know, it kind of throws, you know, the old model over of look at where you're weakest and work hard to fix those areas or improve those areas, right? But the idea behind Strength Finders is that if you've got a strength in a certain area, chances are that somebody else has some strengths that will complement the ones that you possess so that you don't have to be good at everything, right? You can, you find your sweet spot of where you're good. You identify the people that are strong in other areas. And when you work together as a team, the strengths are all there and you don't have to do everything by yourself. And so um, just kind of looking, looking at my own survey that I'd taken, you know, probably 10 or 12 years ago now, my first strength that that comes up is being futuristic, right? And when you talk about being futuristic, it says that, you know, it talks about how somebody with a strength in futuristic gets energized about talking about big picture items, you know, what things could look like in the future, how to improve upon things, which falls in line with one of my other top five, which is restorative, which is the ability to look at something and, and see what could be better about it, right? But now that now that Strength Finders offers the ability to look at all 34 of your strengths, I, I laugh when, when I unlock this report because my absolute last strength or the area where I'm weakest, if you will, is analytical. And um, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I do not, I am not a numbers guy. I'm not somebody that is persuaded by KPIs and numbers. I think they're important, but that's not the best way to get through to me from a uh, communication standpoint. Now, it's funny because when we talk about 
the importance of strength finders. And no matter where I've delivered this, there's always a hesitation. There's always a hesitation from the group, typically the leader of a group that says, I'm not sure I quite buy this philosophy that we shouldn't improve our weaknesses, right? And uh, and it's funny because I've done this as recently as a few months ago and uh, the CEO that was involved had that same argument. Well, I don't think that we should ignore our weaknesses. And and I just want to make it clear that, you know, Strength Finders is not about ignoring your weaknesses. It's about addressing them in a different way. Rather than saying, I'm going to do whatever I can to improve my analytical skills, you know, there's time, energy, and resources that has to go into that, that has to go into that, right? I, I would have to I would have to take some courses. I would have to find a way to get myself interested in it, right? I would have to not only learn it, but learn how to be good at it. But Strength Finders is not about ignoring it. It's about finding a different way to address it. So the different way to address it is find somebody else on the team or bring somebody else onto the team who has a strength of analytics uh, to complement, you know, the strengths that everyone else has. So anytime that you we introduce this concept to a group, there's always that hesitation, right? Because it's it's traditional thinking, right? It's it's uh, you know the way we've always looked at at development is when we talk about development, it's well, let's fix what's broken, let's fix what's what's weak. But Strength Finder says no. Development is let's capitalize on where we're strong so we can take it even further. Yeah, it's interesting. So I took my strengths a long time ago, and and then I retook it, but I took it quickly, um, and I didn't really put any thought behind my answers, which is interesting. So I'm wondering if it would actually had I not rushed through the quiz because I was quickly trying to get done before like a meet a presentation in five minutes to see if anything changed, if it would be any different. But when I took it many years ago, gosh, over I think a decade now. My top five were achiever, relater, learner, restorative, and individualization, which is super interesting um, because when I took it again, learner, restorative, and achiever, analytical, and focus. So those are the two new ones that showed up, analytical and focus. And what's interesting, though, is a lot of my current position. So I've been evolving my HR career for quite some time. And I've been jumping into different roles to help me become more well-rounded in, you know, different aspects to be able to be able to support our clients, to be able to elevate into different positions. And so right now I'm really honing into the system side of things from an HR perspective and people analytics and things like that. So I think that's where my analytical side's coming into play a little bit more based on my role and responsibilities. But, you know, most obviously um, restorative and individualization was my last ones from over a decade ago. And so, you know, things evolve as well, I think in your roles. Keith, do you think people should constantly retake these or are there checkpoints in people's lives? I know people say this about like the emotional intelligence. And we talked about that book. Um, Our last session, we talked a little bit about emotional intelligence. And so people say emotional intelligence, you should probably take it before you start a new position. And like as you're evolving through that. What are your thoughts on strength finders? Like how often should individuals take this? I don't, I mean, obviously with mine, mine didn't really change too much. Like my top three are still my top three. You know, it's interesting because I was going to say when you, when you, when you talked a bit about taking it quickly, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the strength finders assessment won't let you linger on any one question for very long. If you labor on, on a question for too long, it will actually clear the screen and move on to the next question. But I do think that where this this assessment is unique is that 
anytime that you have any sort of major career change or a large amount of time that has passed since your last assessment, it's probably a good idea to retake this because this is not about your personality, right? Whereas, you know, like a Myers-Briggs or a DISC will probably stay pretty consistent, right? From, from if you take it multiple times, this one will depend on how you're performing and how you're behaving will, will determine whether or not there are changes in this assessment. So I think it makes sense that, you know, based on how your career has, has evolved, that things like focus and analytical would certainly jump towards the top because out of necessity, right? You've had to become more focused. You've had to become more analytical in the roles that you've had. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I think too, as we're, you know, developing in our personal lives, just, it it just changes. And I didn't get a chance to expand out on all of my strengths, see where exactly the other two maybe have bumped. They could just be right below that. But um, Keith, like you had the opportunity to expand out on all of your strengths and get that visibility. How beneficial is that for individuals to take a look at and assess? You know, I think it I think it really is beneficial because like you said, you if you if you expanded your your report to see all 34, you would probably find the two that dropped off are probably located now just below your top five. For example, like, you know, I spend a lot of time influencing other people, right? I spend a lot of time convincing people to make change. But the specific strength that speaks to that, which is woo, which is winning others over, doesn't show up on my top five. But when I pull up my report and I see that my top 34, woo shows up right underneath my top five. So it gives you an opportunity to expand and see that there are other strengths that are there that you may not have thought were there, mainly because you may not have the opportunity to flex those strengths as often as as your top five. The other thing that this puts into perspective for me is it allows me to look at which of the strengths fall on the bottom 10, right? Which are the following, which are the ones that are falling on my bottom 10? What that helps me to do is say, if I need a partner in a project, I'm going to be looking for somebody with these 10 strengths, right? Or some combination of these 10 strengths, because that's where I have the least amount of strength. So I think it is valuable. I think it is a valuable resource to be able to see not only this kind of tunnel vision of where are my top five strengths, but look at what is also strong below those. And then also see if I were to choose somebody to bring onto my team, what would I be looking for in them? What would I be looking for to help complement where my strengths are? Yeah, I think it's, um, that's critical, you know, for us to take a look at and how we leverage relationships too, you know, and have those discussions in our everyday lives. I love that you have futuristic in there. I think, wasn't it Disney? One of the Disney guys also has it. So, yeah. So we tell a, we tell a story in the in the in the uh, facilitation of this about the Disney brothers, where Walt was really the the futuristic person. He was, you know, he really had no strategy. Right. He would just, you know, he'd look at an empty swamp in Florida and say, "Going to build a theme park here. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it." Right. Or or when he when he built Disneyland in California. You know, he said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to build this this theme park. And, and uh, you know, everyone said, you're crazy. You know, nobody's nobody's going to come to this. You know, it's it's going to be you're going to you're going to go bankrupt. You know, he had no idea how he was going to do it. He didn't have the money to do it. He didn't have you know the resources to do it. But then, you know, we had his his brother who was involved, who was who was, you know, much more gifted in areas of strategic thinking and executing. 
who had a, had a, a mind for finances and who went to you know ABC Studios and said, look, here's what we want to do. We want to build this theme park and we want you to fund it for us. And um, the way he got them to agree to it, he said, we're going to finish this, this park and open in a year. And ABC said, there's no way you're going to get it accomplished in a year. And Roy said, well, if we don't get it done in a year, we'll turn the deed over to you and you will own it. How's that? And they agreed. And not only did they finish it in a year, but, you know, as, as we all know, later on, Disney went on to acquire ABC Studios. So they went on to buy the studio that financed their original theme park. You know, in that story, you know, as, as good as it sounds, there's also a piece missing, right? There was a piece missing in that deliberative piece, or maybe it was, you know, strategic planning. Because what happened was they were so caught up in what they had accomplished, they didn't really plan for the future. And, you know, as a result today, there's still plenty of members of the Disney family, but many, most of them don't have any sort of financial stake in the company. It wasn't planned to continue that the dynasty to them. And there's, you know, there's a few of them that sit on a board and, you know, that have some sort of participation. But for the most part, you know, for a company as, as large as Disney and to, you know, to have the last name Disney and to not have any, any sort of financial gain from the company seems like... Uh, Seems like there was an opportunity for some for more strategic planning there. Yeah, so I guess uh, they should have really leveraged the strategic side or, uh, you know, of strength finders to see how they could figure that out right. many years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. Would have been helpful. They needed a third part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how does this impact? Obviously, we're talking through a companies, right? So when you're building a company, you're an entrepreneur like Disney was, you know, it's super critical for leaders in an organization to leverage that. You talked a little bit about how it, how you've had discussions with leaders who are like, "Hey, you know, you know, why are we focusing on our strengths instead of our weaknesses and developing those?" But you know, in human resources, and and I've partnered with organizations and worked with different ones. Strength Finder it comes up, but it's not necessarily a tool that's leveraged that could be you know strong for a team to be able to work towards. And I think. For me, when I'm t when I'm thinking through, you know, organizations, especially startup companies, you know, you talk through that Disney, which in these terminology days would be considered a startup or entrepreneurial. It's really critical to understand where your strengths fall within your some of your senior executive teams in a startup, your founders to be able to execute on that. I think as you grow and you evolve into larger organizations, you know, it's it, 5,000, 10,000, you know, maybe even mid-size, whatever the case may be, even, you know, past the startup phase, how is it critical to leverage this? Or is it even critical to be able to leverage strengths as you're getting to a larger point? You know, I think it is. I think it's, it's critical because it opens your eyes to see who is the right person to fill a particular role. But I do think there's a hesitancy behind it, right? And you, you know, you talked about you know kind of that hesitation that we talked about before. But there's also, I think, the challenge is people like people who are like themselves, right? So when they're when they're looking for somebody to join a team, they want somebody that they can get along with, right? And chances are they're going to get along with somebody that communicates the same way they do, right? But that may not always be what the team needs, right? Now, for example, if I were to pick somebody for a team based on strength finders, I would be looking for somebody with context, adaptability, analytical, things that do not fall on my top five at all. But somebody who is you know, analytical and speaks in terms of context 
is going to have a very different communication style than me, whose top two strengths are futuristic and positivity, right? I'm going to talk in terms of ideas. They're going to talk in terms of numbers, right? So we may not have very compatible personalities when it comes to communication styles, but that's the type of person I need in order to drive things forward, in order to drive business forward, in order to look at things from a different perspective than I'm seeing them. Does that go the same with a significant other? Should we be looking for opposites? Is, <laughs> is what Paul Abdul said true? Do opposites attract? <laughs> you know what? I think that this would work in lots of situations. I don't know that it's the ideal way to pick a significant other, though, <laughs> because I think if you pick somebody based on strengths, that's going to have a vastly different communication style than you. I think that's that's you're going to find yourself bickering more than anything else. And I think that that may not always be the best way to pick a pick a significant other. But I think in uh, in terms of of business or you know project management, you know I use this a lot with our sales teams um, with sales teams because one of the things that you would that you would think is that somebody who is in sales would probably have lots of strengths in the bucket of influencing, right? Things like communication, uh, significance, taking command, being self-assured, being a maximizer, winning others over. And it's funny because every single time I've delivered this assessment to a traditional sales team, the area that the entire team is weakest on is influencing. (laughs) So, and what that tells me is that there is an opportunity to look at sales from a different perspective than they've been looking at it now, right? And it makes sense if I think about it, because when you think about a sales team, what typically drives a sales team is the business that is looking to hit certain targets, right? They're looking for a certain number. They're looking for a KPI. They're looking for some specific analytics, right? Well, if that's driving your sales team, there's very little room for things like you know, building relationships and, and, and influencing others, right? So it, it becomes an eye-opener for organizations that, are, that think they're doing the right things by building a sales team that's focused on hitting specific targets, right? When in reality, the target should never be, in a sales organization, the target should never be a specific number of sales or a specific dollar amount. The targets need to be around how many new relationships are you are you generating? How many new referrals are you getting? Things like that that you can't really measure in a KPI. But sales is a soft skill, right? It's not numbers on a page. As much as we'd like to say, if we could only drive our sales numbers to this, you know, we'd be in good shape. The most successful sales organizations don't run that way. And you know, I do a little uh, demonstration ahead of time to kind of drive home the point of the importance of strength finders. And, you know, so if you ever, if you, you know, if you work with us and we come out and do this, you'll, you'll, you'll look forward to seeing us do this activity. But, you know, we, we take these four manila envelopes, we split the group up into four teams and we tell them that there's a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle in the envelope and they're all different puzzles. We give each uh, team an envelope that's got a puzzle and we're very specific on the directions. We say, all right, you've got 20 minutes to complete all, all four puzzles. We don't say you've got 20 minutes to complete your individual puzzle. And there's a reason for that. Because when they open their puzzle and they start putting it together, they, you know, they start seeing it as a competition, right? They're like, we've got to get this done faster than the other team. But as they get towards the end of the puzzle, they start to realize that they're missing pieces and that some of the pieces that they do have don't fit their puzzle. 
So what, what that means is that they've got the pieces to somebody else's puzzle and somebody else has the pieces to finish their puzzle, right? So when, that, when they finally realize that and they start going around the room and they start putting, getting all the rest of the pieces together and put, getting the puzzles complete, they start to realize the idea that we're driving with that activity is that there's no possible way that any one person or any one team can hold all the pieces of strength finders, right? It's just not possible. So in order to maximize your impact, to maximize your results, you've got to reach out to other people who have strengths that you don't have. You just gave away our secrets, Keith. Well, it's just one of them. So we do have lots of other things up our sleeve that we don't give (laughs) (laughs) So what would you say to those sales leaders that may have individuals all alike in the same one bucket or one category on their team? Here's my recommendation, right? If somebody has strengths that are not aligned with a salesperson, the first thing I would do is say, well, let's explore this a bit because let's take a look at what roles. And as we get into, you know, we do a strength finders workshop, we start talking about what sort of careers and what sort of roles are best aligned with certain strengths, right? Or which which careers are most enjoyable to people with who have certain strengths. So the first thing I would, I would suggest is that if you've got a sales team that is not strong in the area that it needs to be strong, that means you've got a team that is strong in other areas of the business where you're not using. So, you know, I've been on sales calls with salespeople who've done sales all their life, right? We go on sales calls and we show up at a, at a prospect or at a client's office with a box of donuts and you know some coffee and we're, we're shooting the breeze for five or 10 minutes. And then it's like, all right, well, you know, see you in a couple of weeks when I stop by again with some more donuts and coffee. And you know, it's like, you, know, you have to ask yourself, what did we accomplish here, right? What, what was the intent of our visit? Did we come here just to, so that we, we, the, the client didn't forget who we are? Did we stop here because you know, they, they depend on us for donuts and coffee? But when we look at the um, when we look at the intent of why we're there, it's often hard to to quantify what we accomplished because we think that that's what we're supposed to do as sales, right? We think that that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to we're supposed to schmooze people. We're supposed to do that, but in reality, it's not. It's a you know the most effective salespeople are the ones that are are trusted by the clients to help them grow their business and not in an artificial way right? Not by selling them something that they don't need, but by finding out what the needs are of their business and filling, right? And that takes somebody who's confident, that takes somebody who's got excellent communication skills. And sometimes, yeah, excellent salespeople need to have difficult conversations with customers when customers have a specific idea of how they're going to grow. But if we've been in the industry, if we've been in the business for a long time, we may know better, right? And so, you know, we need to make sure that we build a sales team that is able to generate real trust, that is able to communicate, that is able, that's got, you know, an enormous amount of self-confidence. And if we've got people on our team now that don't have that, I would challenge you to look at other areas of the business where they would fit in better. Because chances are, if they're going to fit in better, we've probably got people in other areas of the business that would be outstanding salespeople that we're not leveraging. 
Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to let someone go if they're not performing. But at the end of the day, it's so much more better and, you know, more influential for you as a leader to be able to put individuals in the right positions, um, even if it may not be in your department. I've seen so many times where I've moved someone or recommended to move someone out of sales into accounting and billing or something like that. And they've like they've literally gone like from mediocre to successful overnight. And it's just because sometimes individuals really don't know what the right role is for them. They feel like it's one direction based on some of their strengths that they have, but may not be the most successful. Right. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, so many times people get find themselves in roles for years and decades because it just happens to be the role that they started out in. Right, they they started out as a salesman, or they started out in accounting, or they started out in human resources, and they've just stuck with it. But if we were to find an area where that actually aligns with their strengths, not only would they be more successful in that role, but they'd enjoy their work, they'd enjoy their career, and they'd feel like they're making a contribution at such a higher level. Yeah, I agree. Maybe I need to move out of human resources and into like you know data analytics for finance or something. I don't know. You're making me cringe, but that's because analytical's on my bottom, bottom of my list. <laughs> hey, that this is exactly why, without us even really discussing it, this is exactly why we partner so well, though. Yeah. Yes, it's true. So, Keith, what are some takeaways? What would you say are the top three, five takeaways that individuals, you know, should do? Obviously, number one, read the book, take the assessment. But what else? Like, what's the most critical component to take away from Strike Finders? So number one, I would say is don't get hung up on your top five, right? If you, if you, if you take your, your assessment and you find out what your top five are, don't discount the rest of them as all weaknesses, right? Remember that this is a stacked ranked list. It is not a top five versus everything else, right? So don't labor over the fact that if it's not showing up in my top five, then I must not have a strength there, right? That, that would be my first thing. The second thing I would suggest is don't just look at this report in terms of how it affects your work life. Take a look at how it affects your personal life as well. If I were to look at, you know, things like futuristic, it's, it doesn't just show up in my work life, right? I spend a lot of time thinking about what's next in my, my work life, right? I think a lot, of t- a lot of time about thinking big picture, right? But I also spend a lot of time in, in my futuristic mode in my personal life, right? I'm the type of person that comes home from vacation. I immediately start planning the next one, right? Because I want to know, I want to have something to look forward to. I want to know what's coming next, right? So I would say, look for the, look for the, how these, these strengths show up in your personal life as well. Look for blind spots, right? Sometimes we focus too much on our top five. It can cause unintended negative misconceptions, right? So if we're like, for example, if I only focus on activities that align with my top five, then what am I missing out on, right? I mentioned before that winning others over shows up just underneath my top five. But if I were to just focus on my top five and completely discard winning others over, then I wouldn't be in the role that I am. I wouldn't be, you know, delivering training. I wouldn't be, you know, uh, coaching people because I wouldn't see it as a strength of mine. So that would be my top three. Start with your top five, but don't discount the rest of them. Look for how this impacts your personal life and then watch for blind spots. Make sure that you're not hyper-focused on any one area of strength. Perfect. Well, you heard it first from Keith. Hopefully you all, if you have not gone out, get the Strength Finders 2.0 book or some equivalent 
take the test. And we look forward to hearing uh, your feedback and comments uh, on our social media feed if you do take the test. So let us know. Until next time, everyone, take care. Bye.